Welcome in, everyone, to the Batfoot Podcast. My name is Damien here with Matt and David. Uh, today, we're going to be bringing you our free agent predictions, a little talk about the wild manager carousel that we had happen over the past few days, uh, and then something a little special there at the end of the episode. But uh, before we get to all that, David, how are you doing this week? I am, I'm doing rather well. Um, my team has suddenly decided that they want to you know, make do some interesting offseason stuff, so that makes me awfully excited for the off season here. But um, aside from that, you know, planning planning a trip to to go home there around Thanksgiving. That's been nice, and and then just work. But uh, yeah, I'm ready to you know get get towards this holiday season and and break into these free agent predictions and uh, start thinking about uh, how these teams can improve improve. You know, it's the early part of the off season. Everybody's got the the optimism that maybe next year's the year you'll win the World Series and. Uh, it's one of my favorite times of year. So with that, how you doing, Matt? Um, I'm doing pretty good. Do, do you, do you really think everybody has that optimism? I mean, Ace fans are probably not, but <laughs> look, <laughs> no, hey, they picked up their manager point. option. It's true. Yep. It's true. They made a move. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I've been good. I, I went, I was out of town this weekend. I went to, uh, went up to Nashville for, uh, to watch the Auburn versus Vanderbilt football game. And, uh, that went well. Did you take your hair I should have. Uh, that place is an absolute dumpster fire right now. It is <laughs> totally under construction and takes like an hour to get in and out of, and it's pretty ridiculous. But uh, but yeah, it was still still a fun game because my team won, and uh, we'll um you know, and then I'm ready to talk about some some free agency and some baseball. Um, this off season is going to be pretty interesting, so uh, I'm ready to get into it. How, how have you been, Damian? I've been doing good. Uh, just like I said, excited for the uh, for the off season time. It's one of my favorite times. We've already had a little bit of a, uh, a wild few days, which we'll get into here in a second. But uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun already. Um, even the GM meetings have started. We've got some interesting quotes from us from some of those general managers, and then um, you know, hearing that the trade market's being a little bit more active earlier in the year. So hopefully, we get some of that news here soon. But it's just been overall a fun week and just excited to uh to be in this portion of the the year for uh heading into the holiday season and then free agency baseball i don't think there's much else that's better but um let's go ahead and start with the the manager carousel and the part that david's really really wanting to talk about here (laughs) um so we had what was it five openings six openings it was the guardians padres um the giants angels astros um, astros mess mess so there were six at a time. Um, and then, you know, there was this, the controversy surrounding Craig Council, who was the Brewers manager at the time. His contract ran out November 1st. He was talking to other teams, the Mets um, and the Brewers specifically. Um, there was a lot of rumors about him going to one of those two places that we thought of. Um, but let's start a little bit earlier in the day before we jump all the way into to that part of it. Um the Guardians ended up hiring a uh, former big league catcher, two-time all-star Stephen Vogt as their new manager early. Um, I think it was early yesterday morning. Um, and then, you know, we kind of got some rumblings that council was going to make his decision um, later in that day. We were going to figure out if it was the Mets or the Brewers. That kind of really seemed like the only thing. Um, and then 
I think it was about 11 o'clock my time, Pacific time. Um, we got the bomb from Ken, Ro- Ken Rosenthal saying that like council's going to manage a team, but it's not going to be the Mets or the Brewers. And then in the meantime, the Mets hired Carlos Mendoza, who is the Yankees bench coach to be their new manager. Um, and then Rosenthal said that council's going to go to a team that has an existing manager. That's when all hell and frenzy broke loose and it ended up being the Chicago Cubs. Uh, which then entailed that Dave Ross was going to be fired. So that was just a wild, like two hour period. We still have a bunch of other openings, but just let's, I want to save David's excitement for the yeah. end here. Um, Matt, walk <laughs> us through your thoughts of that whole kind of like two to three hour period, vote getting hired. Where was council going to go? Then the Mets hiring Mendoza, then council getting to the Cubs and his record breaking contract, which was five years, $40 million, which is, kind of in the lines of the Joe Torre Yankees type era. Yeah. Uh, so first off, Steven vote, uh, pretty cool for him. Um, he was a, uh, pretty beloved clubhouse guy in his career. Um, uh, you know, had some good years. He was on the Braves world series team. So I'm, it was pretty cool. Was, you know, I was pretty happy to see that. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll see what he does, how he does in, in Cleveland. Cause that roster is going to need a lot of help from their manager. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the Carlos Mendoza thing, I don't know exactly what the Mets see in getting a guy out of the Yankees organization, uh, but, um, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he might be fine. The Yankees, even though that they had a rough year this year, they have been a fairly successful team and that they really, you know, a lot of that has to do with their roster more so than just how their coaching staff is, in, in my opinion. Um, and then you look at uh, the Craig Council thing. That was pretty crazy. Um, you know, I, I think it was – I mean, I, obviously it's a good move for the Cubs to bring in Craig Council. I think he's a really good manager. Um, I don't know how much exactly managers matter, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Like I don't think any of these moves are going to just like dramatically change these franchises. But, um, you know, obviously if you can – you get the best guy you can. And, and one, one thing, you know, you're looking at like with the Cubs, they're – you know, paying a manager that doesn't really count against your luxury tax payroll. So, you know, if that's a way you can improve your team, they just, you know, you don't even have to worry about the potential penalties and the luxury tax and, and losing draft picks and stuff. And you, if you feel like that's really going to improve your team a lot. So, um, you know, it's, just, it's a good move. I don't think anything's going to like be just dramatically different. I think a manager can lose you games, but a manager's probably not going to make your team like way better than it is. Um, so the roster is the most important part. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously I think that there were times at the end of the year that David Ross probably could have done a better job managing. I don't think it's really his fault. I think he had a flawed roster, but, uh, you know, I kind of hate it for him. He, he, he was a beloved Cubs player and got kind of pushed aside, you know, kind of, I don't know. It was kind of, I, I don't love the way that it went down for him, but, you know, obviously, you know, it's baseball, it's a business. And, I mean, the Cubs wanted are trying to do the best they can to get the best people in there that they can. So, uh, definitely interesting, and uh, we'll see what happens. It'll, it, it'll, it'll, it's an interesting start of the off season for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, here's you're right, Matt. Right, 100 percent right. The managers are a fairly inconsequential part portion of the team, which is why Craig Council is currently signed for less than, you know. Uh, win about a win above replacement for a year 
right? I mean, it's usually upwards of $10 million per win above replacement is kind of the, the typical calculus. And, and Craig Council's making $8 million as the, you know, record-breaking, highest-paid manager contract of all time. So, you know, I think that tells you about what teams feel is the calculus on a manager, um, where they're they're worth about a win, right? A good, the good one is, and, and the you know the average ones are going to be net zero, and the ones that get fired go negative. But you know, you look at where the Cubs were before um, yesterday, right? I mean, this was a you know David Ross was on a expiring contract it was going to run out next year they they were out outright not extending him because i think the idea was they wanted to see what would happen if they gave him a a roster that was capable of winning which he's had one time in 2020 and they got swept by the marlins in the playoffs in the shortened season so you know and that was david ross's first season we we really don't know what david ross was capable of but what it felt like from a day-to-day perspective was that david ross just didn't get that you need to sometimes make change things up and shift things up in order to you know generate a little energy in your lineup he often let veterans you know hit out of slumps for long periods of time and he was very reluctant to go to the young guys alexander canario hit like 300 uh, a home run a triple you know he was very productive in his limited time in september but he sat for three weeks before david ross even bothered to put him in the lineup because he wanted to trust the guys that got him there and i have a feeling that rubbed the wrong way on jed hoyer and and the front office but they weren't it didn't bother them so much that they were going to definitely get rid of david ross right they were going to give him this season but this was a cutthroat type of move. The type of move you make if you're expecting, you know, if you, this, they're like, this is the only way we're going to get this to happen. Um, it's it's a move that I have never seen the Chicago Cubs make. You know, they, they went for Joe Madden, but Rick Renteria was not a beloved Chicago figure. And at that point, the Cubs were very clearly signaling, hey, it's time to go for it for the first time since, you know, the Lou Pinella days. So this move feels more much different than that one did. You know, I, I, I really like it. I think it's the kind of thing that you do if you're signaling that it is go time, that we're going to play at the top of the free agent market. We're going to play at the top of the trade market. We're going to uh, operate above the luxury tax. And, and, you know, th- this obviously is a, is a bon- an improvement to a team that doesn't have to, you know, stay, you know, they don't have to stay below the luxury tax, right? I mean, this is a team that's, that's saying, hey, we think Craig Council is going to make an impact with more resources than he would have otherwise had. And, and I'm really excited about that. I think this is a, it's, it's more the, what this signals than it is specifically Craig Council. I, I mean, Craig Council is a great manager, but what, how much do managers really matter? Like you said, I, I don't think that's that's necessarily the, what the point is. The point is that the Cubs are willing to make changes when they didn't need to because they believe that it is go time, and that's what makes me really excited. Yeah, to me, the managers matter enough on the margins that there's a clear upgrade that can mm-hmm. be made at certain times. Um, you know, this team, the Cubs team, I mean, they're one Seiya Suzuki catch away from being in the playoffs. Yep. And then that flips the whole playoffs in the head because Arizona does not get in the the playoffs and they don't make a run for the World Series. They are they are literally that catch away against the Braves from being in the playoffs. So this was a, a basically a borderline playoff team. They were good. They don't I don't think anyone really expected them to be much better than they were this year, and regardless, this is just one of those moves of hey, like 
this guy just happens to be available. He's at, or if not near the top five of the, of the managers there and probably pushing to the top three ish. I mean, depending on who you talk to, uh, that guy's available. Let's go make that move. And it not only does it steal it from the division rival, but also it shows that we're serious about doing everything we can possibly do to maximize the margins. Because, you know, sure, we say the Say a Suzuki catch keeps them out of the playoffs, right? There's a bunch of other games that could have just as easily been that with a simple, you know, manager pulling a pitcher at a certain time or going to this bullpen arm instead of that. That's one of the things that council's done really well is the game flow aspect and knowing when's the right time to do that. That's why I just think that this was the move, like not say that David Ross is a bad manager. I think he's a fine manager. I think he's going to get another opportunity this year. I mean, we've already heard the rumors about the Padres job potentially being, you know, him being a serious candidate all of a sudden for it. And I was listening to um, MLB radio today. Definitely not Chris Russo show. Definitely not that guy. <laughs> but um, I believe I want to say it was uh, Power Alley with uh, I think Brad Lidge was the one that was talking about it today. And he was basically saying that, like, sometimes managers just have to grow into the position like we don't allow that anymore. We expect managers to come in, even first time managers and be good right away. He's like, and sometimes it takes them four or five years to get their feet under to just really understand things. I think you were starting to kind of see that with David Ross somewhat like not there was obviously still the the stubbornness there, but you were starting yeah. to see a little bit, um, you know, getting better in certain aspects of the game. That's why I think if he gets another opportunity, he might be just fine in it. This was just the cutthroat move by the, the Cubs to kind of say like, hey, that guy's there. He's up at better than ours he's near the top let's just go make that move now um so it uh definitely gave us some uh, some early on excitement in the off season for sure but uh, I do wanna, before okay. we go on i do want to say one thing i i love david ross for what he did in game six and i i was defending him up until about the the rosenthal tweet to break it i was on the side of look i think he's improving i think there's there's definitely things he can work on but I didn't mind a lot of the stuff he did. And overall, he did a pretty good job. And, it, you know, it, it does feel I do feel bad for David Ross, but I'm I'm a, I'm ultimately a Cubs fan right over a, a specific manager fan. So, you know, this is the right move for the organization. Let's go. Right. Um, so with that being said, let's go ahead and jump over to our free agent predictions. So we listed, I think it's our top 13 free agents that we wanted to talk about here with it. And uh, we'll go ahead and start with the most interesting one. And that is Shohei Otani and the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. Where is he going to go? Uh, we all have three different teams right around the same ballpark. But Matt, go ahead and give us your uh, your Shohei Otani prediction. Yeah, to, to, to start with it, I and I think all three of us kind of agree. We really have no idea what's going to happen here. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I think that Shohei is just—he's real quiet. He's not real. Um, nobody really knows. Uh, I think a lot of people expect the Dodgers to be at the top of the list, but nobody really has any idea. Now, back when he signed originally, he was basically—he basically eliminated any team that was not on the West Coast. So I think that that's an important—an important thing to look at for for uh for this is that like you know maybe the and and i know there's been some rumors that boston might be a, a player because of his deal with new balance being in in the city of boston and and then and then also having a, a lot of um 
history with Japanese players. But I think uh, I went with the Giants because they're a West Coast team. They are very uh, – and they're very, very thirsty for a superstar player. Um, they've tried extremely hard. They've had the number one bid on um, – on Aaron Judge last year, and, and it ended up not working out as he went to the. So he ended up going to the Yankees or back to the Yankees. They had a um, deal lined up with Carlos Correa, and it ended up falling through because of the medical. Like they are not shy right now on trying to bring in a superstar on a free agent contract, and I think that this might be the, the biggest, the biggest one uh, they could possibly get. And you know, I think that um, my my, I really don't know what his contract's going to look like. I mean, it's especially with the injury and stuff thrown into it, there's just no telling what it could look like. But I, I'll put him down as 12 for 500. It could be 12 for 550. It could be 10 for 500. I'm just, I just do not know. But um, I, I have him going to the Giants and with very low confidence on that pick. But uh, that's what, that's my pick, so. You want to go, Damien? You want me to go? You go ahead. Go. We'll just do it now how we have him listed there. All right, here's here's the deal. That's the first thing I did today was I wrote down five teams that I thought Otani might go to, and then I went and did all of my other predictions um, because I was like, I want to go ahead and pick you know each player to one team. I I'm not gonna guess that you know it's multiple teams take on multiple players, so that may happen in this top thirteen, right? We might see one team get two players. I think that's totally possible. I just didn't do that because I thought it would be nearly as fun to you know exclude a bunch of teams to take on you know three to the Cardinals or three to the Dodgers or something like that so my I think my five teams were the Giants Dodgers Mariners Cubs Red Sox um, and I went through and did the rest of them and my reasons to not pick teams were as follows the Dodgers need pitching Otani can't pitch next year that's Literally it, I he might just stay in LA, and everybody kind of thinks that. That's kind of the favorite, so whatever. I, I If he goes to the Dodgers, I totally understand. Mariners are really exciting, but it's also, will the Mariners' ownership provide the funds? I don't know. I, I think we think we, the rumor right now is that Otani is so popular in, in Japan for merch sales, for sponsorship deals, for the team, that he is a cash flow positive. Uh, investment even if you spend 500 million dollars which is absurd um it's the kind of thing that it's going to benefit the teams that have their own tv deal where their own subscriber base is actively funding the the teams of dodgers cubs those are the ones that are going to benefit the most from that anything with Bali's not as helpful that's what kind of takes me out on the giants the giants are a perfectly legitimate option though i think they're going to be big players here um, and the Red Sox, I, I don't have anything against the Red Sox here. I just, I have them going for another Japanese guy here down the road. So I went with the Cubs. It's, it's a big feeling and it's only one I made yesterday based on the council thing is I think the Cubs are just going to go for big and they are the one non West coast team that Otani listed in his rookie, um, his rookie, you no know, seven when he narrowed the teams down, the only team that wasn't West coast was the Cubs. So we know at least he has considered playing for the Cubs in the past, uh, that was, you know, several years ago. Lots has changed since then. They could not work it out, but I've, I've just got a feeling, man. This is my my kind of big prediction for the Cubs. I think they they go get Otani. I, it's it's splash time in in Cubville, and um, you know the Japanese subscriptions to Marquee. They might pay for it. You know, they might help Otani pay for himself. So, 
David is definitely drinking the Kool-Aid all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I am. <laughs> no, but it's funny that you said the positive cash flow thing because before you got in the call today, Matt and I were talking and I literally said the same thing. Yeah. I said, whatever team signs Otani, the contract does not matter. It the, All the contract matters for is what your books look like. That is literally it because fan revenue, fan like in like a uh, popularity. You know, Fan popularity, fan investment in the team, like mm-hmm. everything skyrockets when you have Shohei Otani. Networks will pay you an insane. The Mariners, uh, which is the team that I have him going to here, have a $2 billion contract TV deal already mm-hmm. signed through like 2030, right? Well, if you sign Otani for these contracts that we're talking about, you're going to get a new TV deal in the middle of his contract anyways. Um, and the the Jersey sponsors – Right, mm-hmm. a lot of these teams haven't signed jersey sponsors yet. Could you imagine what a jersey sponsor immediately looks like if your team signs Shohei Otani? Like yeah. sponsors will be lining up to have that guy put on their logo every single day because he's on every single highlight reel all the time. Yeah, like he he's such a positive cash flow person immediately, anyways. That the contract does not matter. So the reason that I went with the Mariners is he's one of their. One of the seven West Coast teams that he listed, or one of his seven final from the last time, he is really, really close with Ichiro, and yep. we know that connection there. The Mariners have proven that they are willing to do big contracts. They've done Robinson Cano. They had the Felix Hernandez contract at the same time. You have Julio Rodriguez already locked up long-term. This would be another investment in that side of it. You don't need to worry about him pitching this year because the Mariners have a ton of pitching already. And the Mariners don't have a big-time legitimate left-handed bat. And then you're telling me at the start of your lineup every single day you're going to get Julio Rodriguez and Shohei Otani for the next 10 or 12 years. Like that's insane. And then you were able to supplement all around that anyways. Um, so I ended up having him go on a 12 for five twenty five. Um, I think my reasoning being is that he, I, I think the number is going to be like 500 million, right? We want to hit the $500 million mark or something like that. Um, but I think what, what Otani will be willing to do is put a couple extra years on at a lower AAV to where the number for your, your yearly books don't look nearly as bad because the way baseball does it, it's based on the average annual value, right? So I don't think he's going to do a 10 year at 500 million because that's $50 million a year. I think that will be like the original, like, Hey, this is the deal we want to sign, but like, let's add two years on it you know, 25 million that lowers your AAV to, I think like 43 million, I think is what I figured. That's a lot easier to kind of handle on the year to year side. Um, and so I just think the connection that he has to Japan with each row and then the connections that have already been made there and the fact that they are, have been willing to spin big before and he fits almost everything that they need right now. I, I just think the Mariners have been my team. I've been saying it for a long time too. Uh, I think the Mariners are the one for Otani. So, I did give uh, my number. By the way, my number was eleven for five hundred. Uh, it, it's it's yeah. right in the same ballpark. So yeah. Um. So uh, let's move on to our next guy, and let's do Cody Bellinger. So Matt, why don't you go ahead and start with Cody Bellinger? 
Yeah, I'll uh, I'll start, and I think that he's a. I, I think that he's going to go to the Yankees. Uh, I think the Yankees are going to desperately want to get an outfielder. Um, they right now, I think I heard earlier that their current outfield is obviously Judge, but then you've got like Esteban Florial and Jake Bowers are their other two outfielders right now, assuming that Stanton's a full time DH. So, um, like. They really need an outfielder, and Bellinger can jump in and play center field immediately. Um, you know he can he can he's versatile. Um, you know, and I think that he's um, you know I think the Yankees are, are really going to want to go after somebody like him, uh, left-handed bat that plays real well in Yankee Stadium, especially with his batted ball profile. Um, I have him signed in for eight years, one hundred eighty million dollars. Uh, I cannot believe I'm saying that he's going to sign for that much money after what happened, you know, for the past few years. But then this this year, he was he, he obviously had the big bounce back year. I have seen some people's contracts that are even higher than that, and I I kind of feel like he's going to get a little bit less than some people are kind of expecting because of the name value of the player. He had an awesome year this year, and I think he's a really good player going forward too. But I think that there are still some yellow flags about his batted ball profile and his exit velocities. And also, he's got that injury history. So I do think it might limit his, uh, you know, the amount of money he gets a tiny bit. But, uh, you know, eight years, 180 after the things he's been through the last few years would be an awesome deal for him. And, um, you know, I think the Yankees are the team that will give it to him. Here's my, my thought process on Cody, because originally I had Cody penciled into the Cubs. Um, after today, I just, I get, we got the sense on Otani. So I, I went ahead and moved Cody off the Cubs. And, you know, we also got the MLB trade rumors um, predictions today, which had Cody getting like 12 years, 240 something million. Um, that's excessive. I think, I don't think there's any shot he gets that level of contract, but I do think somebody's going to blow the market up. Uh, I always kind of thought that if the, if he stayed around 150, 160, 170, um, that he would just return to the Cubs because they would automatically have the kind of the, the in that they don't have to lose a draft pick um, for, for you know, going out and getting him. And, and they also, until, you know, earlier today, I, I didn't have them getting Otani, so it makes some sense to grab Cody Bellinger back. My pick for Cody going in free agency is the Toronto Blue Jays. For like a 10-year, $230 million type of deal that blows the, the expected market out but doesn't go totally crazy. Something that everyone gets kind of surprised about. Like, wow, why that seems like a lot. Almost in the, the vein of Trey Turner where you're surprised at the amount but you're not surprised at the location. The, the Blue Jays desperately need left-handed hitting. And, you know, they traded for Dalton Varsho. He mostly played center field but it, they were using Kevin Kiermeyer out there right like they needed they needed a jolt in that offense to kind of go with Bobachet and Vlad Jr and odds are they're only going to keep one of those guys going forward so being able to move Cody to to first base once Vlad Jr kind of goes to free agency that makes some sense so I'm going to stick with the Blue Jays. I think the Yankees are a perfectly reasonable destination for Cody. I think he'll have a very robust market that's going to last a long time. Uh, but I think eventually somebody does blow it out of the water, and I've got the Blue Jays. Yeah, the Blue Jays are, are not a bad pick at all. We've heard them be in on you know, center fielders recently anyways. Um, 
So I could very well see that happening. Uh, I also agree with Matt. I'm going with the Yankees on this one. I said for seven, 175. Um, it kind of fits everything they need. He's the left-handed power bat that can be opposite of Aaron Judge there. He can uh, play center field there. And then it also gives them some flexibility. You know, they don't have Jason Dominguez this year. Uh, but when he comes back, you know, Dominguez could potentially play left. Cody could play right if you're wanting to move Aaron Judge to more of a DH left field role. Or Anthony Rizzo has – this is his last year of his guaranteed contract. He has a club option next year um, for, I believe, $17 million is what it was. Cody can easily play first base if Dominguez is back healthy and playing center field again. Um, and it just fits everything that the Yankees kind of need. And then a lot of people don't really remember anyways, is that um, Cody's dad played with the Yankees. He was on those World Series teams in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, he was a, a reliever there, but he played there and Cody spent a good amount of time in New York anyways um, and around Yankee Stadium and the Yankee Way. So I could very easily still see, you know, that being a, a connection there as well. Um, so I had him going to the Yankees. I just feel like it's such a good fit with versatility wise, what he could be in that ballpark with a batted ball profile too. And then obviously having the history of his dad and, and kind of growing up there kind of might have a little bit more of a, a sentimental value too. So um, next let's move over to Matt Chapman. Dave, we were just talking about the Blue Jays. Well, here it is. Uh, so Matt, why don't you go ahead and start with Matt Chapman? Yeah, uh, I, I'm with uh, David on believing the Cubs are going to spend this offseason, and I've, I've got them signing Matt Chapman. Uh, the, the reason, really, the reasons that that I have that are that I think that for one thing, the Cubs need a third baseman. Uh, you know, this year they traded at the deadline for Candelario, and he played some third, even though he also played some first. Uh, they had. Dick Madrigal playing a lot at third. Patrick Wisdom playing third a lot, which Patrick Wisdom really isn't a good third baseman. Um, so uh, they really need somebody to demand that spot. And, um, you know, I think the Cubs have also kind of dabbled in that market of, of that, that Matt Chapman's in, kind of like a, a similar to the, like the Dansby Swanson type market last year where they got went after the guy who, um, you know, was had, had some upside and was an elite defender. Uh, you know, there were some flaws in his offensive game, but he's also, a, a, you know, a really good player and kind of in that not the number one free agent on the market, but, but pretty but a really solid major league free agent uh, and a potential all star uh, occasionally. So I think that's what Chapman is. And uh, I think that's kind of where the Cubs are going to go here. Uh, I do think the Cubs will bid for Otani, but, you know, I, th I think they're going to spend a lot on own guys and, and make it more spread it around a little bit more if they're not able to get an Otani. But uh, I got Matt Chapman in the Cubs. I don't got that one, <laughs> but yeah, I'll uh, I'll refrain from continuing into the Cubs talk because we've talked about them a lot in the last first couple. Uh, I've and unfortunately I'm going to stick with another team we've already talked about. I'm going with the Yankees on this one. You know they they they're Donaldson shy from you know a few years ago and, and this is a team that's been struggling for offense i have them missing on cody bellinger to their division rivals uh the blue jays which i think is is going to galvanize their spending a little bit but i also think that they've invested a lot into the outfield and it's going to be tough for them to put together over 200 million for you know tough to justify it. and it is the yankees so they don't really care about cost for over 200 for Cody Bellinger, but I'm going to say they're going to go grab Matt Chapman late in the winter uh, for five years, like 
95 to 100 million somewhere in there chapman did get the qualifying offer which i i think will hurt his market pretty badly but i think what i think is going to happen is that damien's going to end up with the uh the right pick on this one because chapman's chapman's homes are not terribly large i don't think there's a whole lot of teams looking at third base and the cubs do have christopher morell there that could you know moonlight into third base if they don't move him in trade so um you know, I, I like where the Cubs are at third base. I think they can maybe make a trade for one, but I don't think they need to be spending at the top of the lineup there. It's just <sighs> the Yankees are, they need something for offense. And that's where I'm going is Matt Chapman. Listen, the Cubs have their third base, Nick Madrigal. They just need to play him. Um, <laughs> I, the Yankees part, I don't know. It just feels like they're so crowded on the infield anyways, trying to figure out what they're going to do with Glaber and DJ. And I don't, I don't know. Totally. Um, if it makes a lot of sense for them on that aspect of it, I have heard um, Glaber being in trade rumors for what maybe, it's worth. So maybe, but then no, I don't know. We'll see. Um, the the guy that I or the place that I picked Matt Chapman to go to is the San Francisco Giants. Uh, for a lot of the reasons that Matt was talking about earlier, they've been aggressive at trying to find a a bat to come in there and play. Um, and play for them. They've kind of been having at third base, having JD Davis a little bit here and there, Wilmer Flores here and there. Um, Matt Chapman kind of just screams going to the Giants. First of all, you know, he's started coming up in Oakland, so he's been in the Bay Area before. Farhan Zaidi, who is the general manager for President of Baseball Operations for the Giants, was the assistant general manager of the year that Matt Chapman got drafted um, to the A's. He was really high on him at that point. Um, and like like we said, they've kind of been looking for somebody to come in there. Chapman kind of fits the profile of what these kind of analytical-driven teams kind of look for, a really good defensive third baseman that hits for a lot of power. Um, you know, he's not the the super, super big name, but he's a guy who can come in and immediately is going to be an anchor every single day for you there at third base as they've kind of lost a lot of their their pieces. They're kind of looking for that new guy, and I feel like Matt Chapman's kind of, would be that for them. Um, so I have them signing him at five years, $115 million. Um, I, I just think it, it kind of fits a little bit, um, a little bit too well to kind of pass up the opportunity for it. He's also played with Bob Melvin as his manager before. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, so that, that kind of, that kind of all fits there. Um, so let's move over to the pitching side once again, and this is kind of where we're going to start on a, a run of pitchers here, but let's start with the Philadelphia Phillies and with Aaron Nola. Uh, so Matt, what do you got for this one? Yeah, for this one, I just think he's going to go back to the Phillies. I think they'll end up working it out with him. Um, I think he's, uh, means a lot to that team. I don't think that they're going to value anybody else higher on the market, uh, than, than Aaron Nola. I think he'll probably be their number one target at, at pitch, at starting pitcher. Um, with the exception of, I, I guess they would attempt to target Shohei Otani, even though I don't think he would want to go there, but and Shohei's not pitching next year, but, uh, Nola is, um, Nola is a guy who's been there his whole career. He's been their ace for his whole career. He's gets the opening day start most years, even with Wheeler there, he's gotten it a bunch of times. Like he's, He's really um, a really big piece for them, and um, I actually think he's going to get a little bit higher contract than people are going to predict for him. He had a little bit of a down year this year, but the peripherals were still really, really good, and he's been incredibly durable for his career, and that's something that I think is going to help boost his value some because there's not as – I mean, not, there's always going to be a lot of risk with a pitcher, and but with his repertoire and his – 
durability he's shown. And I think people, I think there's a, a good argument that he's going to be able to sustain it for for a for longer than you would typically see from a pitcher. Maybe the risk might be a little bit lower for a free agent deal for Aaron Nola than for some other guys. So I'm going to pick him going back to the Phillies. Uh, I got him for six one eighty. Yeah, I think that's this is a very possible outcome is him just returning to Philly. Uh, I do think that teams are wary of giving up home runs, which is Nola's kryptonite. He is one of the best starters available, if not the best starter available. Um, and he's typically very reliable in terms of innings pitched. He's a guy who gets a lot of innings, but he has been fairly inconsistent when it comes to quality of contact results. He's a guy who gives up a lot of home runs, a lot of hard hit balls uh, if his command isn't working well because he has, you know, the 93 to 94 mile an hour fastball versus, you know, some of these guys we're going to talk about later who throw 95 plus. I I think Nola gets a good strong deal. I just think it's going to be from the St. Louis Cardinals who overpay uh, against what the Phillies expect. You know, I, I'm thinking back to like Robbie Ray, Kevin Gossman, guys coming off of a Cy Young caliber year, but also some not so good years in the recent past. Uh, and those guys got around one, one hundred, one fifteen, one ten uh, for five years. So I'm saying Nola gets six for one forty because I think the Phillies are going to offer in that range, five years, hundred twenty, hundred twenty five million dollars, and the Cardinals overpay and give him the extra year. And that's what sends him to St. Louis. They're very desperate for pitching. They're very desperate for reliability specifically. So that's why I have them targeting Nola. Um, if it gets up to 180, I mean, I will be genuinely shocked. Uh, but again, that's kind of how free agency's gone. So I could be definitely underestimating this, but I have a feeling that Nola gets less money than we're predicting thus far. Uh, but still, uh, you know, more than like the Kevin Gossman, Robbie Ray tier that I feel like he's in as a pitcher. Yeah, I think so. As far as the the starting pitching market goes, arguably Nola's the top available starting pitcher outside of Shohei Otani, which we're already going to say he's not pitching this next year. Um, I think he's arguably that guy. I don't think that the the command issues really like I feel like part of it is he's had such a bad defense behind him for so long that he was trying to pitch too much for a strikeout at times um, the defense improved slightly this year but um, I just think that I think the market's going to see that and the market's going to take it to a place of where it's going to force the Phillies to kind of make the decision for themselves I just don't think that you let Aaron Nola walk out of the door. I don't see the Phillies allowing that. I don't see John Middleton doing it. As much as he's put into this team in recent years with the Harper, with Castellanos, with Schwarber, with Trey Turner, like I don't see him letting, and even Zach Wheeler, I don't see him letting Nola just walk right out that door when they don't have that second kind of ace-level pitcher or very good number two level pitcher right there at the top of that rotation. That's been a big strength for them recently. Um, you know, especially in these playoffs, like going to be able to have Wheeler and Nola one and two, and then figuring out the rest of it, it's a big advantage for them. And I just don't see them allowing Nola to really walk out the door that way. Um, so I went with six at 150. I think kind of along the same things with David, we were talking about the 120-ish type era or area. I think the Phillies have to bump it up a little bit there. Um, but I just think it makes so much sense. I think it the the fit is really well with Nola and Philly. 
They've been successful lately. It's been a big reason why. I don't know why they would want to to kind of stop that marriage between the two of them. Um, so I, I went Phillies at six for 150. Uh, so let's jump over to the most likely NL Cy Young uh, pick this year, and that's Blake Snell. So Matt, why don't you go ahead and start? Yeah, um, I, I've gone back and forth because honestly, I have no idea what Snell's market's going to look like. Um, I think that he's a really good pitcher. He's had a couple of awesome years. Um, you know, he's a, he's a weird one because his results were so good this year. But his peripherals were good, but not like crazy, crazy good. And, um, you know, not Cy Young caliber. And he's also got the innings question, too. He, he had never pitched a ton of innings. Part of that's his control. He drives his pitch counts up. But he's also been limited some by, by teams. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I, I had him – I just picked him to the Red Sox because they need pitching. They're going to spend on somebody. And I didn't really have anybody else that I thought they were going to spend on. So um, I picked them to the Red Sox. But I, I, I really have no idea what's going to happen with Snell. Yeah, I, have, I have a specific vision for the Nola, Snell, um, Yamamoto, Jordan Montgomery, quad, Quadric, you know, group here. I, I believe Nola signs first. And I believe that the Phillies you know, kind of thought they would, Nola would give them the home hometown discount. He goes to the Cardinals and the Phillies feel a little slighted. So they go out and grab the reigning NL Cy Young in Blake Snell. Um, and they pay more than Nola got for the Cardinals indicating of course that the Phillies are, were kind of withholding that money because they feel like Nola's down performance and inconsistent performance over the last couple of years is kind of warranting less of a contract. Uh, but Snell, obviously, coming off the Cy Young, maybe he makes a little more money. I have him at six one sixty five. I don't know. I think I'm right with you, Matt. I have no idea what Blake Snell's going to get here. He, his his market might be one of the most interesting in that for a reigning Cy Young, I have zero confidence in him repeating that. And usually you have some confidence in repeating. In fact, I have, I have confidence that Aaron Nola will be at least a you know a three war pitcher who throws 200 innings next year i got a good amount of confidence in that it's just a matter of whether aaron nola will give up a bajillion home runs or have a two era you know that that's the that's kind of the big question for when it comes to aaron nola for snell i don't know the walks could just totally you know obliterate him i mean but it's it's a risky tightrope that Blake Snell walks, but he walks it with with poise and precision. And you know, I think the Phillies going out and getting a an arm at the level of Aaron Nola is going to happen. But it, you know, you guys have it being just bringing Aaron Nola back. I have it being Blake Snell. They will, I think, be signing one of these free agent starters. I think that's maybe the the message we can send here. Yeah. So David and I, we between Nola and Snell, we've kind of flipped our picks here um, because I have Blake Snell going to the Cardinals at seven year, one seventy. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the Cardinals, there was rumors late in this last year that they want to ch- kind of change their philosophical look at how they do pitching and kind of get away from the low to kind of 92 to 93 fastballs with movement and go more to a like high fastball, and then low breaking stuff type of pitcher. Um, and that's kind of exactly what Blake Snell is. Uh, he kind of is that to the epitome. Um, 
But looking at the this Cardinals rotation right now, it's Miles Michaelis, Steven Matz is your number two, Zach Thompson, Dakota Hudson, and Matthew Liebertor. Those are your options right now. They do have a good prospect in Gordon Graceffo. Um, don't know if he'll actually be ready for this season or not. But it just feels like if the Cardinals are going to compete, they're going to have to get a f- couple starting pitchers at least. I'm sure one of those is going to be in trade somewhere. They have so much depth within that middle infield um, and even outfield um, that they can kind of move one of those to get a pitcher there. But I don't see any trade markets for a left-handed pitcher. And especially one that kind of fits exactly what the Cardinals are, are going to be looking for if, if the change to this new philosophical look of pitching for them is true. That's Blake Snell. I mean, Blake Snell throws high fastballs that are hard, and then he throws a wipeout curveball and slider. Like, he, he's really good at that. Um, the walks would be an issue, but I, don't, I mean – I don't think a team like that really cares all that much nowadays. I mean, this is also a team that we saw give a bunch of money to Steven Matz, who could never stay healthy either, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, Blake Snell has thrown 180 innings twice in his career. Those two years, he's going to have won the, the Cy Young. So when he's healthy, he's able at the top level of this, uh, of what he can do pitching-wise. I just think that the Cardinals, it just fits, I think, so well, especially with what they're trying to look at that – I think it's just it's too good to pass up uh, for them. So uh, let's jump over to another left-handed starting pitcher, and that's one that just won a World Series with Jordan Montgomery. Uh, so Matt, who do you got for Jordan Montgomery? Uh, Jordan Montgomery is just—I I think he's going back to the Rangers. Uh, the Rangers obviously are willing to spend, and uh, Jordan Montgomery's kind of a World Series hero there now. So I—I'd be—I'd be surprised if he's if they don't try to bring him back. And, and I think that they can get it done if they do. So I've got him just going back there. It's funny. That one required requires very little analysis. I, I will say I disagree because the Rangers are putting Jacob deGrom back in the rotation next year well, and they just spent money on him. So, I, and I also have the Rangers signing somebody else down the way, uh, you know, the Rangers are, are going to be aggressive. And I think Jordan Montgomery did enjoy his time there, but, you know, who really needs pitching that I haven't called for a starting pitcher yet. And neither of either of you guys is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, and I think Jordan Montgomery represents the stability that the Dodgers have been lacking in, this, in the rotation the last couple of years. You know, we, we haven't mentioned, you know, Clayton Kershaw. It's, you know, he, he's he got injury. He'll be out. He's also a free agent. Like there's you know, the, the Dodgers have a lot of question marks there in the rotation. Will Walker Bueller be back? He's on a one year deal. That they're you know the the rookies that they did have were all a little bit inconsistent with the exception of Bobby Miller. The Dodgers need to bring in some pitching, and I've got him bringing in Jordan Montgomery. I've got him for six one fifty, but you know the, that the, that contract may be a bit of a a question mark given that Montgomery's mo- success has been mostly the last year and a half specifically. You know we'll see what he gets on the market with you know a power sinker type guy that pitches to contact a little bit more in a market that values swing and miss. But I, I like Jordan Montgomery, you know, and his consistency and his stability going to the Dodgers. It's funny that Montgomery's success has directly coincided with when he left the Yankees. Um, Amazing. So you know the Dodgers, I don't hate it for him, especially that since they won't have to give up a qualifying offer. Uh, or give up a draft pick because he doesn't have the qualifying offer to it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they're going to be so invested in the 
top of the the market and pitching with the the guy we'll talk about next and then Otani that they might let Montgomery slip through their fingers. Um, but I kind of, for the same reason of what Matt said, I think the marriage between the Rangers and Jordan Montgomery just fits so well um, there. We are uncertain with Jacob deGrom with his Tommy John surgery and this specifically being his second one, um, how long he's going to be out. You already know Max Scherzer has dealt with injuries throughout his you know later half of his career. You don't know how much you're going to get from him. Eovaldi's had a, a troubled injury history, although he was you know pretty healthy this year. He still dealt with some. Um, there's just, I, I just think that Montgomery is that solid guy who's going to go out there every single day and give you a solid performance. That, especially after his postseason run and seeing what he was able to do in the playoffs, this is a team that obviously is going to want to make it back to the playoffs. If you are able to have a postseason rotation of Jacob Degrom, you know Jordan Montgomery, Max Scherzer, Nathan Eovaldi next year, like you're not you're not caring about what the rest of your your uh, your bullpen looks like at the moment. But uh, I just think the marriage fits so well there between the two. And I don't see there's any reason why he would want to leave knowing that they're going to try and be successful and he's stable enough for them with the, uh, with the uncertainty they have in the rotation already anyways. So uh, let's move over to, I'm not even going to say it. I don't Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Yamamoto. There it is. I see. I got it pretty close to start with. Uh, I'm going to butcher that name talking about it. So I'm just going to call him Yamamoto from now on. But uh, Matt, what do you got for, uh, for Yamamoto? Um, I, I, for the same reason that y'all have mentioned a couple of different pitchers, uh, or the, Do- the I think of the Dodgers. I think that they really, really need a pitcher um, badly. I think with them missing on Otani, they've got money to spend on, you know, and they, they'll probably be more willing to, quote-unquote, break the bank on one. I think Yamamoto is probably going to be the most expensive pitcher on the market, even though I think Nola might be a little bit better right now. I think Yamamoto is going to be the most expensive due to his age. And I think that the Dodgers, uh, you know, they've, they've been – they've signed guys from Japan in the past. Remember Kenta Maeda came over from, from Japan. They've got the history with Hideo, Hideo Nomo uh, from, from years ago. Um, I definitely think that the Dodgers will be on this one, and, um, you know, I, I, I like them to pick him up. Look, a, a 25-year-old top of the rotation starting pitcher does not come available for just money very often. There should be 25, 30 teams interested in Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Uh, he throws upper 90s. He's very, you know, consistent with the, the amount of pitches he throws. Uh, you know, the, the Japanese workload is a little bit more lax when it comes to total workload. So he throws a lot more pitches over there. But, you know, it's worked out for you, Darvish. It's worked out for Kenta or uh, Kodai Singa. Uh, the, the Japanese pitchers are no longer big big risk factors like they were with Daisuke Matsuzaka and some of those guys, you know, in the, the early 2000s where they were either really good like Darvish or just really awful. Um, I think we're at a point where we know who's going to be really good. I think Yamamoto is really good. And the one big market team that I haven't brought anybody to yet who just signed a new uh, GM, president of baseball operations, uh, is the Boston Red Sox with Craig Breslow. Um, you know, the posting fee is going to muddy up this contract a little bit. I've got it at... 10 or uh, I've got it at like 10 years, 210 million. Uh, but the Red Sox desperately need pitching. They're going to be involved in all of these starting pitchers that we just talked about. Uh, but I think the one they can sell on their plan, the, the easiest is the youngest. And that is Yoshinobu Yamamoto. 
Yeah, you made it a good point with saying that it's very rare that a guy this young and this talented comes available for just money with no draft pick compensation, no having to draft anybody. Like, there's no development here. It's take the money and immediately just come into play right now. Um, and I feel like for me, the the place that I have him going is to the Giants. And it's kind of for the same reason we were just talking about. They have been super aggressive in the market the last couple of years. And this just screams like one of the guys that they're able to put on the top of this rotation with Logan Webb. Um, and just kind of go forward with those two. You got a young Kyle Harrison coming up. They don't really have much other, um, much other really solid starting pitching options at the moment. Um, so he immediately fits in with them. They're able to be aggressive. They don't have to give up draft picks for him, especially since having to give up a draft pick for Matt Chapman there. Uh, I just think that if they're being aggressive here and they're trying to throw money around and they're going to need somebody here and somebody so young, so talented that they're going to have for a while, I feel like it fits there. So I went with 10 years, $225 million. Um, I think there's going to end up being a bidding war for Yamamoto just because of all of those factors. And I feel like it's going to take the contract up a little bit. And I just feel like the Giants won't be won't be uh, outbid this time. I mean, they weren't outbid for Aaron Judge and, you know, they missed missed there. So I feel like they're uh, they're going to be willing to to spend top flight money. Uh, so let's move over to our only reliever that we're actually going to uh, – to predict this time and go to Josh Hader. Yeah. Um, honestly with relievers, there could be consigned with anybody that is willing to spend money. Um, cause that's how relievers work. Everyone needs one. Uh, but you know, I, I, I said the Cubs, I don't really think he's going to go to the Cubs, but, um, you know, he's, they've got the Craig council connection. Now. I think that the, that trade last year had a lot to do with Craig council wanting out of Milwaukee. Um, I think that, um, you know, the Cubs are willing to spend. They badly need a reliever. I I just, I figured that they would, you know, go for that. And, you know, earlier we were talking with David said, saying that, you know, the Cubs, Ted Hoyer says he's not going to sign a multi-year deal. Well, he also said David Ross was going to be the manager next year. So, you know, you, you, you can never take what, what the, what they say is, what the G, uh, GM says is face value. So it's just, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, he could sign to like 15 different teams and I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, my my thought on that is not only has he said it, but he's also never signed one to two oh, years. Yeah. So he's been GM for three years now and gone through three iterations of signing bullpen guys and still hasn't done a two-year deal, much less a five-plus-year deal for a guy like Josh Hader. So I don't anticipate that. I've got him going to the Rangers. The That's the predominant one that I've seen yeah. from everybody else is to the straight to the Rangers uh, to lock down that bullpen, make that obvious improvement uh, at the back end where you can, you know, you lose out on a uh, role Chapman, but you shift Leclerc to the eighth. You keep Sabors in the seventh. I, I mean, we've talked about that bullpen. I think, you know, it helped them win the world series. And I think Hader is a, is an automatic upgrade and one for a team that isn't worried about draft picks, right. Where they're losing the qualifying offer pick for Hader. Um, and where their biggest weakness during the regular season was the bullpen, Hater locks that down. And so I, I think this is a, a match made in heaven for the Rangers. Yeah, you want to talk about a guy who doesn't care about draft picks? This is Dave Dombrowski. That is a guy who does um, not care about draft and picks. And the, the Phillies lost a couple postseason games this year due to a lack of back-end bullpen help. 
Um, you know, they had Craig Kimbrell and he blew a couple games. You had Sir Anthony Dominguez, you had Ryan Kelly. Like they had a lot of guys. They have Jose Alvarado too, but all of those are just very, very futile. Um, so I think that the Phillies are going to be super aggressive here. They're going to bring back Nola. You have the offense already set pretty much. Um, you're going to bring in Josh Hader, be super aggressive. You don't care about the draft picks. John Middleton will want to lock down that back end of the bullpen. He'll spend all the money he needs. I think it's uh, Josh Hader for five years, 105. And I did that specifically because he is going to want to break Edwin Diaz's record of five for 102. So I think he does five at 105 to jump over the Diaz contract. And I think it's to the Phillies. Uh, so let's jump over to Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, who had a opt out and declined a trade at the deadline, and now he's going to be a free agent. So Matt, what do you got? Yeah, I've got him going to the Orioles. Uh, I think the Orioles really need some pitching. Um, I think that they are probably going to be a little bit more willing to spend. You know, with the recent 100 win season they had, I don't think they're going to spend a ton, but uh, which means that they're not going to break the bank for one of the top starters. And this is going to be one of those guys that's going to be in that you know 20 million ish range. Uh, four years, eighty million is what I have. I think he's uh probably wants to prefer being on the on the East Coast. Uh, after what happened at the trade deadline with him declining the trade to the West Coast, I think that was a, a big part of the reasoning. And uh, I think that four for one eighty with the Orioles is is kind of a, a number I came to. So, yeah, the one the one big market team that I think we've kind of forgotten about that is that did kind of die out with their pitching was the Houston Astros. Um, and I'm I'm gonna say they they're the ones who convince Erod to to move. I I think the issue was him moving in the middle of the season. He didn't want to do that, and that's why he had the no trade clause in the first place. But you know, if being able to move in the off season, I don't think that's going to be a barrier. Um, and I think Houston needs pitching, and he this kind of makes sense to me for some reason is the the guy with you know a bit of control, but but could definitely you know, go to a place that's heavily analytical like Houston and take it up a notch wouldn't surprise me. Uh, so, you know, I have him going over joining Framber and Justin Verlander for a run in Houston. And, you know, four years, like 75, 80 million. That, that seems pretty fair to me. Yeah, so I have Eduardo Rodriguez going to the Cubs at five years, $90 million. I feel like it's a, a really good fit there. You have Steele, you uh, have Kyle Hendricks, you're going to have uh, Strowman's obviously out of there now. I feel like he has a good fit there. He'll pitch very well in that ballpark. He's obviously a big family type aspect person. We already mentioned with the um, with him declining the trade, he's had to be away from the team sometimes for f- some family stuff. And uh, if there's any move that we've seen that's been a lot of family stuff, Craig Council. I mean, his big thing is was about family. It's why he didn't want to leave Milwaukee. And he apparently wanted to go to the Cubs because it's close to family. Um, so if anyone can sell Eduardo Rodriguez on knowing what it's like to, about wanting to be a family person and stay close to, uh, to where you're at Chicago to Detroit. It's not a big drive, not a big drive at all. Um, he immediately goes in there. They're able to be aggressive and get a pitcher on that side. Uh, we'll talk about a bat here in a second. Um, but I also think that they're able to just trade for another pitcher um, as well to maybe to, to help that rotation a little bit. So Eduardo Rodriguez to the Cubs for five at 90 is what I had. Uh, so let's move over to the uh, 2021 World Series MVP in Jorge Soler. Yeah, um, I was a fun World Series MVP. But uh, he, um, I've got him going to the – I just picked the Tigers. I honestly think his market is more of all 30 teams – well, 29 teams and, and then the A's. Um, maybe not the Royals either because he's already been there. But like he, he's a guy that I don't think he's going to be worth as, uh, so much money that 
teams are going to be out on him. And, uh, you know, the Tigers are kind of one of those teams that they're kind of not – they're not necessarily like a contender. But, you know, they might feel like if they add around the edges a little bit that they could somewhat stay in the race in the central and that this might be a deal that they could use to just kind of add to their lineup a little bit and, uh, and you know, stay around in the central and end up around 500 team and you never know in that division. So I think the Tigers adding him for three years, $40 million is, is what I picked, but I, I don't. I have honestly have no idea who he ends up with. I, I think the three years, 40, three years, 45, somewhere in there is probably the number that he gets, but uh, the team is just kind of a mystery to me. Yeah. If there was one singular team that contends or tries to contend year in and year out that desperately needs power, it's the Cleveland guardians. And they've shown they're willing to spend around $20 million for a power bat in Josh Bell last off season. What I expect is that Jorge Soler comes in, finally closes up the the spot in the lineup behind Jose Ramirez and gives them a a power bat that's capable of hitting 40 home runs a year. I think they tried to do this with Bell, but it was just it wasn't the right player. I think they give that kind of 20 million a year deal to Jorge Soler for three, four years, somewhere in there. It'll be a little bit crazy if they get quite past 60 million or so but you know the guardians typically sign one or two contracts a year i think they need they go for a big power bat in jorge soler this offseason yeah so i'm doubling down on the cubs here uh i have them signing him for three years 50 million dollars bringing him back to the place he made his major league debut and was a uh a part of their farm system there um big power bat that they you know they're going to look to to get some more offense into that um into that lineup there, especially if they're going to be losing Bellinger. This is a guy who's going to come in and immediately score or be able to hit you a bunch of homers um, and be a consistent, consistent bat for you. So I went with the, uh, the Cubs there. Uh, So let's move over to Sonny Gray now. Yeah. So uh, with Sonny Gray, I actually have him going to the Braves. I think the Braves badly need a pitcher. Um, They have, you know, they've got Kyle Wright out for the season next year. They've got, you know, Spencer Strider, Max Fried is the one, too. The, then the, then you've got uh, uh, Charlie Morton back now on a one-year deal from his he, – he got they picked up his option. Uh, so I think that they – but they really need another reliable arm. Charlie Morton's 40, and, um, you know, he wasn't available this postseason. Max Fried's dealt with injuries in the last few years. They really need another reliable arm, and I think that Sonny Gray might be a, a guy – that that could end up being that at his 34 year old age i don't think his contract's going to be too big and i think it's going to be a shorter term deal so um i think that um you know the braves are probably more willing to to go in that shorter term higher aav uh market and uh they've coveted him in the past before so i definitely like uh like the braves for sunny gray i jumped on the note the the notebook where we're doing this today to put twins on sunny gray I saw Matt had the Braves, and I went, oh my goodness, that's such a good pick. Um, I'm going to stick with the Twins. I, I Just re-signing Sonny Gray, bringing him back, I think they can't, you know, they had such a good rotation this year. I don't feel like they can get rid of him, and what I do believe is that the Twins have kind of an idea of their next three or four or five years, so they can give Gray more years and more security, and that ends up trumping his desire to make more overall cash, which keeps him in Minnesota. So I'm going I'm to say they give him five years. Um, which does take him to age 39, but I also think that that's, you know, they, they signed Carlos Correa for a six-year deal. They kind of have a five, six-year plan, so I think they're comfortable with that. 
I, you know, I obviously could be wrong, and I think the Braves are a really, really good fit for Sonny Gray. But um, you know, if he's craving more years, more security, and more familiarity, I think he stays in Minnesota. If he's hunting a ring, I think he goes to Atlanta. Yes, for Sonny Gray, I just felt like he liked Minnesota. Um, he performed really well there. Uh, I think that Minnesota will obviously want to bring him back and keep him at the top of that rotation with Pablo Lopez and Joe Ryan. It was a big strength for them this season in general, too. Um, so I just have the twin sign in four years, $80 million, give him $20 million a year, give him that little bump that he's kind of looking for there, and it doesn't hurt you too much in the long run. Um, and and you guys obviously have, have enjoyed each other through the both uh, – from both sides of it, they've had success. So, uh, Sunday great to twins, uh, four years, $80 million for me. Uh, so let's jump over to Marcus Stroman now. Yeah. So, um, since the twins and my predictions lose Sunny gray, I've got them going after another pitcher and that pitcher ends up being Marcus Stroman, who should get a pretty similar contract. And, uh, you know, he's a pretty similar type of pitcher to, to Sonny Gray. He's going to pitch, you know, got a really good sinker and, and, and his splitter and everything and going to pitch to some contact. I mean, Sonny Gray does have pretty good strikeout numbers for his career, but both guys kind of similar. Uh, you know, they're, they're probably number three rotation starters. They're up there. Stroman's not really old, but he's had some injury questions. Uh, I think that's three or $60 million should get it done. And uh, I think he's going to I just felt like the twins would probably be a player for him. That's that's really not a bad fit there. Um, I'm going with the Giants. I think the Giants are in in my scenario here. The Giants have not gotten a starting pitcher yet, um, nor have they really gotten any bats, and so they've missed out on a lot of things. I think they try to retool a little bit, um, and Stroman fits nicely in the Giants, who is a team that's kind of more focused on that infield defense. Uh, you know. I don't anticipate him getting as much money as you guys do. You know, he was an all-star at the beginning of last year, but in the second half, he was downright horrible due mostly to injuries. And I'm wearing my Stroman shirt right now, but he was just, he did not have a good second half. And I, I mean, everybody in the Cubs sphere felt like he was going to opt in and he didn't, um, which I think tells me he's looking for more years. So two or three years, you know, 40 ish millions. He was making, going to make 21 million. Right. So, but I, I have a hard time feeling like any MLB team is going to give him more than two seasons. Um, and, you know, the report is, you know, he, he doesn't like to attend like team meetings before the games and stuff. So you need a, a front office in a group that's a little more casual. And I feel like over in San Fran, they're at least a little more lax. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think Strowman's is going to be a, one that drags on maybe into spring training before he signs. Yeah, see, I have Stroman going to a place where you guys have both had a starter sign yet. I haven't, and that's with the Boston Red Sox. Um, Craig Breslow's coming over from Chicago over to Boston. They need a starter, um, and he's not going to really, you know, break the bank here. Um, you know, I think that he was going to make what you say twenty million dollars this year. I think he's also looking for that more security. Um, so I have him going to the Red Sox at four years, seventy-five million dollars. Um, he also just kind of seems like he would fit in Boston really well, um, which would be a, would be a funny fit, but I feel like he would uh, gel right with those fans. So four years, 75 million, I'm going to the Red Sox. Uh, so the last one that we're going to predict on a long form style is Reese Hoskins. 
Yeah, I have Reese Hoskins going to the Cubs. Um, I don't really know why. Uh, I think <laughs> the big reason is because just I think the Cubs have a lot of contact in their lineup, and they could probably use another power bat. Uh, I think this is kind of what they had in mind when they signed um, Trey Mancini last offseason, and he ended up not working out. I think Hoskins would be a similar type of signing, but I think Hoskins had a, has a higher chance to work out than Trey Mancini did. Um, I got him at two for one for 35. I think that I would get it done. Um, you know, he can play first base where the Cubs don't really have an established first baseman right now. Um, you know, they were playing Cody Bellinger there a lot this year. Candelario. I know that Matt Mervis was a prospect that they really liked, but he really struggled in the big league. So this gives them at least an insurance policy if he doesn't do super well this year and uh, figured out. Um, so I, I've got, uh, I've got the Cubs getting Reese Hoskins. Just so you guys know, you both gave the Cubs right-handed bats and the Cubs have five starting right-handed players right now. And one right left-handed player in Ian Happ and they lost Cody Bellinger. So, I, I mean, they might get a right-handed guy, but you know, Matt's got him getting two. I, I just don't know that that's the best move for the lineup. You I do have, have PCA too. Yeah, well, is PCA oh going to be a good enough bat? Yeah, that, that's it's where I'm left at. So, bat. It's a left hand yeah, well, bat. Anyway, I got Reese Hoskins to the Mariners. I think this is the sneaky move that the Mariners pick up on. Obviously, I think they're going to be involved in like the Otani talks. I'm sure the Mariners are going to be involved in some of these position player talks that we went through. Um, you know, And I think they'll be looking for the more contact-centric DHs. So I don't know if Reese is particularly their best bet here because that's a lineup featuring uh, Eugenio Suarez and, uh, you know, some of these other guys. That, uh, Jerry Kelenic, that's just swing and miss a lot. I'm expecting them to try to find more contact. So maybe Reese Hoskins isn't the move, but I do expect the Mariners to be hunting heavy in this DH first base spot. And Reese Hoskins kind of pit it, pairing him up with Ty France to kind of DH in first base as needed. I kind of like that move. Also could use Ty France as a trade chip. It just a, a interesting little spot there for the Mariners. I, I think they might even be most active on the trade market uh, with all those starting pitchers they have there. Yeah, so this is just a boring pick for me, but I just have Reese Hoskins going back to Philadelphia, coming off the torn ACL and not being a part of what they were able to do this year. Um, I just feel like he's going to want to be back there. And I think... I have him on a two-year deal for $38 million. I also think that he'll have an option in there, either if it's a club or it's a mutual, or maybe it's a club that with like so many play appearances or something becomes a, a player option. I just think it, that he's going to want to be back there. It kind of works with them right now, and, and keeping on a shorter-term deal there allows you to have you know Schwarber be a DH again. Um, and then you can still work in Harper playing a little bit of first to keep him off there too. And Hoskins to DH it just, I think it just fits all around with what the team wants to do. Um, so I have him going back to the Phillies for two years, 38 with, uh, some sort of a, uh, option worked in there. Uh, so do we want to hit the rapid fire ones real quick? Let's do it. All right. Take Oscar Hernandez. Go real quick. Uh, uh, Shoot, Diamondbacks. Replacing Lourdes Gurriel. I like that, actually. I like that a lot. I was going to go Phillies replacing Reese, but he can actually play the field. All right, I think Giants. Nice, nice. J.D. Martinez. Back to the Dodgers. Yeah, since I got got Otani going to uh, somewhere else, I got him Dodgers. 
Uh, I guess since I have Otani going elsewhere too, Dodgers. Uh, Justin Turner. I think you could see him stay with the Red Sox. I will say he goes to one of them upstart teams. I'll give him the Diamondbacks this time. I think he goes to the Cubs. I I I don't I don't hate that. I think that might be my favorite one of the the Cubs ones we've mentioned so far in terms of. Craig bats. Council made a Craig Council made a big run at him in 2020 before he resigned with the Dodgers, and the Cubs could use that in his contact oriented base, and he could play some first base. Yep. Kind of works. Uh, Shoto Imanka. Uh, I'll go with I'll go with Giants. This okay. is my Orioles play. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a good one. I say mm, this one's tough too. Red Sox. That fits. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel. Um, I'll say maybe the Astros. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to send Lourdes Gurriel to the Red Sox, replacing Justin Turner. Okay. Um, I say Lourdes Gurriel goes to Seattle. Replacing Teoscar Hernandez. <laughs> replacing Teoscar Hernandez. There is more contact there. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last but not least, Jamer Candelario. Um, it's a tough one. Think, Marlins. Uh, that, that I, don't, I don't hate that. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the Marlins. I, I actually kind of like that. They got to do something. Yeah, Blue Jays. Yeah, that would that makes sense too. Yeah, that makes sense. He could replace uh, Chapman. Chapman. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Chapman. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go with yep. you. I'm gonna go with you, uh, Damian. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going Blue Jays. Yeah. Uh, so that will wrap up the free agent predictions. Uh, part of it. Uh, real quick before we head out, I just want to uh, bring it up because it's always milestone numbers, but this is episode 150 for the podcast, um, which I think ever since we started it in 2020, Matt and I, I don't think we ever thought we would hit anywhere close to 150 episodes. So that we're at this point, I think it's a big accomplishment. I can't thank everyone enough that's been a part of being on this episode or on any of these episodes, uh, listening, liking, subscribing, everything, just listen to us ramble on about nonsense and baseball all the time. So we're at hit 150 episodes officially today. So thank you, everybody. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to say anything. No, it's just, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy talking baseball with, with y'all every week and, uh, it's been, it's been great and looking forward to 150 more. I haven't been around for all of them, but I'm I'm glad for the ones I've been here for. And this is a this is a fun episode. This is one of my favorites every year doing the free agent predictions. This one was awesome. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the offseason with you guys. Absolutely. And we'll have a lot more offseason talk and breaking down all of these signings and trades that happen. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in to episode 150 of the Bat Flip podcast. And we'll catch you guys back next week.